Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Get ready for an amazing time. This is the grand finale of the Yeshua series. Have you been blessed? I think from your response, I can tell that you've been blessed. Yeshua, Jesus. So it's really about Jesus and we're getting to know Jesus better. Look at the person by your side say, we're getting to know Jesus better. Come on, if the person didn't respond well, look at someone else say, we're getting to know Jesus better. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, I said weeks ago, and I want to say again, that in every relationship, it is superfic superficial until it gets serious. So listen, guys, here is a simple tip for you. If you're interested in a lady and you've been taking her out, having lunch, you only know she's taking you seriously when she begins to ask serious questions. When she begins to ask serious questions, you know that she's thinking about it. So where do you work? What is your family like? Who are your friends? When she begins to ask you serious questions, you know she's beginning to think about it. And the same way, you can have a superficial religious experience. But we know that you're beginning to grow when you become interested in the deep questions about God. Not just coming to church, enjoying the worship, trusting for miracles. But now you really want to know who this Jesus is. I've heard about him. I want to know him for myself. So we know that you have come to this level when you are interested in Bible study. You know, a lot of church people are not interested in Bible study anymore. There is a brand of church that is just fast-paced and it's just about you. If you look at the average, you know, devotional life of many Christians, you wonder who the God is because God is doing all the work. You wonder who is being worshipped. You wonder who the center of attention is. Because it's all about give me, give me, give me, oh God. Give me this, give me that. But it takes maturity to say, listen, today we are studying Yeshua. We just want to know who he is. Gaze on him so that our worship will come to a new level. Are you excited about that? So I just said that to say that we're going to do some Bible study today. And I just want to touch on this because you might hear it somewhere. A lot of people have asked questions about the name Yeshua. Should it be called Jesus or should it be called Yeshua? Well, very simple. The name Jesus is a transliteration or the translation of the name Yeshua. And in Bible days, it was very common. Transliterations were very common. Saul his name was transliterated to Paul. Some people thought that he came to a level in his work with God and God changed his name. It's not true. That's a figment of your imagination. It never happened. Study your Bible. Acts 13, 8. It says, Saul, whose name was also called Paul. They were both his names. All right? So, there were a lot of transliterations in Bible days. Also, just another example, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and in Aramaic. But then there was a transliteration, a copy called the Septuagint, which was a tra translation from the Hebrew to Greek. 
Come on, are you with me? So, transliteration was very common. I'm saying that because I've heard this superfluous claim that the name Jesus, uh, Jesus, was the attempt of some evil men to paganize Christianity. And in those days, the Greeks worshipped a god called Zeus. So they were trying to bring Zeus into... You know, it's funny. Just because two words sound similar. Let's talk about nursery rhymes. Twinkle, twinkle, little. How I wonder what you... I get it. Star and R are the same, right? Dumb. Just because they sound alike doesn't mean they are the same. I know some of you don't need this. I'm just saying this so that you can hear, you know, and understand. So that if you're asked outside. And if anything, I think it is special that we call him Jesus. You know why? One of the prophecies of the Messiah was that he'll be worshipped in every tribe and in every tongue. So it's beautiful in our different languages. Whether it is Jesu or Jesus. Do you understand? And that's the fulfillment of the prophecy. Besides, as long as the revelation of the person is the same, it doesn't really matter the exact name he's called. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of people think that the integrity of Christ is in the exact name he's called. But the real name of Jesus, the real name of the Messiah, is in his reputation, not what he's called. His reputation. It's something we don't really understand in this day and age. You realize just because you are called kindness does not mean you're kind. Haven't you seen someone called love who is not loving? Wisdom who is not wise? We see a lot of examples like that. Your real name is your reputation. Listen, that's why the Bible says at the name of Jesus, not at the mention. Are you aware that that word mention is, the, is a modern day addition? Some people just assume. The Bible didn't say at the mention. It says, at the name, at the presentation of the reputation, no wonder in many instances, the name didn't have to be mentioned. An apostle will be walking and his shadow will touch. No mention was made and the sick will be healed. It was the name of Jesus at work, not the mention. It doesn't have to be mentioned. It says, you shall lay hands on the sick. You don't have to pray all the time. You don't even have to mention, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover in my name. Not at the mention. Come on, are you with me? Has it ever happened to you? You try to pray a plank on a loved one. You call the person pretending to be someone else. And you use another name. My name is, you're just joking. My name is so and so. And after a while, it only took the person a few seconds. Because the person is fond of, you're fond of each other. And the person said, come on, I know it's you. And you both laughed about it. Because it doesn't really matter what you call yourself. If the person really knows you. And at the end of the day, the most important thing is you get to know this Jesus, his real reputation. And that's the question I want to ask you today. Do you know Jesus? Don't assume you do. Listen, I'm not even speaking in a salvific sense. I'm talking discipleship. All right? Don't just assume you do. Because history bears witness that even if God took on flesh, lived amongst us for 33 years, some people will still not know him. And the very people group that waited for him for centuries, praying to him, 
will kill him. Think about that. And that's why true and accurate knowledge about this Jesus is very important. Come on, say I hear. Hallelujah. True and accurate knowledge. Imagine Jesus hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Just imagine how heart-wrenching it is to discover that a man you castigated and whose execution you contributed to turned out to be God manifest in flesh. It would take God to help you recover from that. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 and proved to them that Jesus was the Christ, the Bible says their heart was pierced. And they looked at him hopelessly saying, what, what, what can we do? What can we do? Ignorance has graver consequences than you realize. Let's stop playing church. We need to make sure that we actually know this Jesus. Paul said, if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's, that's, that's the language of mourning. Had I known, ignorance has grave consequences. If you don't learn about Jesus accurately, you may be fighting him all your, li your life, thinking you are pleasing him. Come on, are you with me? And the reason why conversations like this are important is because we must come to a place of discernment. There is nothing more, more urgent in the church than discernment. How do you discern who Jesus is? If he walked up to you, will you recognize him? You see, in the Bible... Jesus walked up to two of his disciples after his resurrection and they didn't know him. The interesting thing is, they were talking about Jesus and talking about Luke chapter 24. They were talking about Jesus and Jesus joined them in the conversation and they didn't know him. And, you know, they were, the Bible says they were on their road to Emmaus. And Jesus said, what is it you're talking about? He said, what? You mean you have not heard? Let's give you gist. Jesus has been killed. And we saw him as the deliverer of Israel. The one who is going to give us independence from this wicked Roman Empire. They thought he was going to be a great political leader. But now he's gone. Now all the other parties contesting for election, we don't trust their candidates. Who will help us now? And the Bible says, Jesus said, Oh fools, still have of hearts to believe what the scriptures have said. Luke 24 verse 25. Listen, think about it. The easier thing Jesus would have done would have been to say, hey, it's me. I told you I will rise again. He didn't do that. Let me tell you this. When Jesus rose again, his new body had a lot of cool, cool, cool attributes. He could do a lot of cool stuff. He could walk through walls. How many of you have ever imagined you could walk through walls? How many of you have tried it before? You tried it as a child. You watch one silly movie and you tried it and you hit your head on the wall. Good for you. Anyway. So Jesus could walk through walls. The Bible tells us that the disciples were in a place, all the windows and doors were shut and suddenly there was Jesus standing. He could walk through walls. He could hear things that people were saying from afar. And so that was how come when people told Thomas, 
who we have surnamed Doubting Thomas, you know, that Jesus was alive. He said, until I put my finger into his side, I won't believe. Much later, when Jesus came, he said, Thomas, come. Feel me. Put my... That's where we got the name. Show you the feel me. I'm just playing. Just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> you know, put your hands inside my wounds. That means he heard Thomas that day. But I think the favorite attribute of all of them was what I call incognito. Jesus could come to people who knew him prior. Talk to them and they won't recognize him. He, he, his new body could hinder people from recognizing physical attributes. And there's a powerful reason why. So here is Jesus in Luke 24, walking with these guys on the road to Emmaus. Historians say it was about eight miles, so they must have talked for hours. And they're talking about Jesus to Jesus because they didn't recognize him. And Jesus did not say, hey, it's me. Instead, he said, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? He showed them what was supposed to happen to Christ from the scriptures. He didn't show them physically. He didn't show them with a vision. He didn't show them with a remarkable experience as many people would want. He pointed them to the scriptures. Oh fools, slow of heart to believe what the scriptures had said. According to the scriptures, Christ was meant to suffer. I know he died and you cried about it, but that was part of the plan. Christ was meant to suffer. And the suffering was meant to be a prerequisite to his entry, entrance into glory. Ought not the Christ to suffer these things and to enter his glory. And instead of showing them, I am the one. The Bible says, I'm beginning at Moses. It's talking about the books Moses wrote. The first five books. Genesis, Exodus, you know, all the first five books. And the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. You know why? Never forget this. Jesus would rather have you recognize him in the word than recognize him physically. Did I lose you? We are talking about getting to know Jesus. And I'm telling you, unlike any other man you've ever met, you can recognize by physical attributes the shape of his nose, his height. God doesn't want you to know Jesus in, an, in, 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 a, in a sensual, carnal way. He wants you to know him spiritually. He wants you to know him in his word. And so even if Jesus could have just said, hey, it's me. Don't you recognize my voice? Okay, let me tell you something only me would know. He didn't do that. He just said, look, open your Bibles. Ought not Christ to have suffered? Then the Bible says, from Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. Then when they began to get it, when they saw him in the scriptures, that's when he opened their eyes. He broke bread with them and their eyes were opened and they saw him. God wants you to know his Christ in the scriptures. The only way to know the Son of God is in the Word of God. Did you hear what I said? I said the only way to know the Son of God is how? Say that, one to go. 
So what have we learned about Jesus thus far in this series? A brief recap in a few seconds. Number one, we learned that he is God, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Number two, we learned that he came as a man to be our sacrifice. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We learned that he died and rose again so that he can be captain of our salvation. I take that again. He died and rose again so that he can be captain of our salvation. And today, we're learning something very important. That he is the Logos. Logos is Greek word for word. <laughs> he is the Logos. So when the Bible says, in the beginning was the word. And when the Bible says, the word became flesh. That Greek word that was translated to English is actually Logos. And what does it mean when we say Jesus is the Logos of God? Two important things. These are the two important things. This is, this is the fabric of my entire teaching. Don't forget it. When we say Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God, we mean two things. Number one, He is the logic of, of God. He is the logic of God. You see, the Greek word Logos is the word from which we get the English word logic. Thought process. Meaning, if you want to understand God's true character, what he is like, how he reasons, what his mind is, what his priorities are, look at Jesus. Come on, are you with me? Every servant of God, pastor, prophet, is meant to be a good example, but they can never be perfect enough examples. And a lot of people don't understand that just because the Bible talks about prophets in, you know, in different books of the Bible doesn't mean they were infallible. If I have enough time, I will tell you there were things they did that were a reflection of their human frailty. And because some people don't understand that, they want to act like that today. The man of God, Elisha, is walking one day and he's bored. And so children begin to mock him. Now, what the children did was wrong. But you know what Elisha did? He commanded a wild animal to come out and devour the, the children. You think because it's in, it's in the word of God it was right? It was wrong. Because a man of God is still a man. And sometimes you can allow your flesh get the best of you. So when God tells Moses, speak to the rock and water will come out because he's angry. Instead, he uses his rod to smite the rock. And you think because he was in the wrong, the miracle will happen. Guess what? It still happened. Instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock and water still came out. And that's why you see, Miracles are not always proof that we're in the will of God. So just because Elisha commanded the wild animals to devour those children and it happened, didn't mean he was in the will of God. Just because Elijah had a temper and at the slightest provocation, fire will come down and burn people, does not mean he was in the will of God. So when you come to Jesus, the logic of God, you understand how 
things ought to be done. How to be a true man of God. How to, not true man of God. We are all true men of God. But how to be responsible with power. You learn all those things. Because in one instance, Jesus was supposed to enter his city to preach. And they withheld him from entering. And so, two of his disciples who were called the sons of thunder. (laughs) Sounds like the name of some ministries. (laughs) You know. They said, what? They stopped you from entering? Elijah won't take this. Be careful of our friends who spin you. Has it ever happened to you that someone said something to you in the university or in secondary school? You were, you were, you were handling just fine until your friend said, eh? Don't you understand what he said? He just abused your entire lineage. <laughs> and then your friend is telling you, you cannot take this. You cannot take this. <laughs> they were trying to do that for Jesus. The what? They stopped you from entering. You, bread of life. And so they advised him. Command fire to come down and destroy them. Just call it fire seven times. Oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble for this. And then the Bible says, Jesus rebuked them. Wow. Wow. Just Luke chapter 9 verse 54. 54, Jesus rebuked them sharply. Don't say that. And then he said, you don't know. I'm paraphrasing. This was the real essence of what he said. You don't know the son of whom you are. The spirit of God doesn't behave that way. Come on, are you with me? The spirit of God doesn't behave. So in Christ, we see the logic of God. Let me tell you something. Of all the reasons I know the Bible is the word of God, this might be small, but it's big to me. Of all the reasons I know the Bible is the word of God, it is the fact that all the mistakes of saints of old were recorded there. Just so that you know that if, you're, if you feel inadequate, look at David. Look at Abraham. Look at, Abraham was willing to, I don't want to use the word pimp, his wife to save his life. They had not threatened him yet. He anticipated that they might threaten him. So he just told us, say you're my sister. Wow, wow, bro. And it's all there. And so now you must rightly divide to know what is consistent with the will of God and what was the excesses of a man. Are you getting where I'm saying? And how do you rightly divide? By putting those actions, pursue who Christ is and what he did. Amen, somebody. I'm sure this has answered a lot of questions for a lot of, for a lot of you. When we say Jesus is the Logos, the word of God, what do, do we mean? Number one, he's the logic of God. Number two, it means that the word of God about salvation was going to be fulfilled in him. The word of God about salvation was going to be fulfilled in him. 
Jesus said in the volumes of the books it is written. Everything he was to do was already written. In remarkable detail. It was prophesied that he will be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, I give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. It was all prophesied. That he will be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2. That he will be taken as a child for dedication. All those things that he will ride on a donkey, Zechariah 9. All those things in remarkable detail prophesied. And that's why when Jesus was, you know, having a conversation with the Pharisees one of the times, in John chapter 5 verse 9, he said, just read your Bible, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, they testify of me. Search the scriptures, John 5, 39. Just read it. You err because you know not the scriptures and the power of God. You err. Do you know the scary thing? It is still happening today. Let me tell you this. The first time I preached this years ago, I made an audacious statement that I'm going to make again. Many church people would have been part of the crowd screaming crucify him had they been alive in that day. I can tell. There's a simple way to tell. Many church people. When you read about all they did to Jesus, you say, how could they do that to Jesus, my Savior? Ah, you would have done the same thing. Because there is a consistent behavioral pattern. Let me tell you this. Or let me just show it to you. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus himself told this parable. Matthew chapter 21 from verse 33. The Bible says that there was a landowner who had a vineyard. And on that vineyard, he had a wine press. He puts people there, laborers there in charge of the wine press. And when it was time, when it was time for the harvest, he sent servants to go to the wine press so that he can have his fruits. And what did the owners, the, the people in the wine press do? They killed all the servants. If you understand that story, you will know that God, he, Jesus was talking about all the prophets that had come before. Which one of them did they not kill? Isaiah was son as son that they divided his body. When you read the Old Testament, they enjoyed prophecy when it benefited them. When Moses parted the Red Sea, they will hail him. But when it comes to a part of their walk with God that, they, that requires discipline and endurance, they can't take it. They just want to be fed. They just want to be blessed. The people who have that perspective of church today, they don't really want any rigorous work, any spiritual growth. Just God bless me, bless me, bless me. And so when um, there's a lot of death in Egypt, but you are kept safe in Goshen, they testify. And then when you're in front of the Red Sea, after all the plagues of Egypt, after seeing the power of God, you begin to abuse Moses. We don't know graves in Egypt. You brought us here to die. You know, God did not say anything. He tells Moses, stretch out your hand, divide the ocean. Now, an ocean is divided. Not only do you see it, you walk in the middle of it. 
You get to the other side, you start praising God. Then days after, you are thirsty again. Do you know there are people like that? No matter how many testimonies they see, the next trial, they will still say, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Is this playing? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm just playing. Come on, are you with me? You know, and now, after seeing all, all the power of God, at the next trial, they still didn't trust. They still didn't pray. They picked up stones, ready to kill Moses. There are people like that. They killed most, most of their prophets. And so in that story, the Bible says the landowner sent more servants. They killed them also. And this last time, he sent his son. And they killed the son. So what was Jesus saying? He was predicting his death. And he was letting them know that his death was not, a unique, was not going to be a unique occurrence. It wasn't going to be a stand. They were not acting out of character. They had done the same thing from generation to generation. Because they were not interested in God. They were interested in miracles, but not in God. So when you see people who have no real interest in Bible study, the only things they know in the Bible, you know there are people, they can give you 50 scriptures on divine healing, 50 scriptures on prosperity, but when you say, who is Jesus? They don't know. Because they never care to learn. And so because of that now, our discernment is low. We don't even know who a man of God is. We can be deceived. Some of you, you have been in church 20 years. You are on the bus stop. Someone wearing white comes to you and tells you some things about your family. You just lose your mind. Hey, hey, let me follow you to where you are going. Praise the Lord. If you had learned about this Jesus, when the person gives you prophecy, you give your own. That's it with Tagger. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say you too. <laughs> Praise the name of the Lord. And this, listen, this teaching is so important in the church. This will help us grow up. Glory be to God. And this is how I know that you wouldn't have killed Jesus had you been alive in his day. Number one, when you hear a teaching that is new to you, you have a reflex to study on it more than you do to argue on it. You know, some people don't know that. This Twitter generation, we, were just, we are just quick to castigate and to argue. I see it a lot. Many people measure teachings today against what is popular, not against the scriptures. There was a sermon I preached, I think it was 2015. I got home to a long text message. Someone said, how long have you been in ministry? So-and-so person has been preaching for 30 years. He said this, then you, you have the audacity to say. He didn't say, he didn't look at the word. Listen, experience should count, and it counts a lot of time. But at the end of the day, the Word of God is more experienced than all of us. There is nobody alive that is older than the Word. So let's look at the Word. 
I'm big on honor. I'm big on respect. But let us honor the word above all else. Amen, somebody. You know, I remember years ago, I preached on free will generosity, giving from your heart. I said, if you don't pay your tithe, no devourer will devour you. That's not why you should be tithing. You know, and someone heard, yeah, no devourer. And vowed she will never come to our church again. Even though she came, Celebration Church is hard to replace. <laughs> but when I heard it, I was just like, ah, are you so determined to be devoured? How can you hear that no devourer will devour you and you're angry? Damn, no, I must be devoured. Religion is bad, though. Just go and study it. Just go and study it. Don't have a selective New Testament ideology that, oh, they were slaughtering rams in the Old Testament, but not anymore because the New Testament. They were doing this in the Old Testament, but not in the New Testament, but tithing. You know, we tithe in this church, but from our heart, putting our money where our faith is, Partnering for the spread of the gospel. You, you get, I'm talking about something that happened 2015. When you hear something new, your reflex to study on it must be sharper than your reflex to argue on it. Go to the word of God. This is why Jesus was challenging them. Search the scriptures. Just study. Don't fight. They were not... They were just trying to prove Jesus wrong. They were not studying objectively. They will go, think, bring one hard question. Just trying to prove him wrong. You know, there are people like that today. Don't assume it would have been easy though. Do you know how strong the Jewish culture was? They didn't joke with their temples. They didn't joke with their religious leaders. Then when you see a 30-year-old man. Some historians argue he was 28. He just has one experience. Goes to the temple. Opens the scripture. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed. Everybody's looking at him. Ah, this young boy. Then right after that picture this old, he climbs a mountain to deliver his first sermon. Do you know, many times, the reason why the Bible doesn't hit us the way it should, is we have a modern perspective to it. Picture it as a Jew. Are you aware that Moses received the law on the mountain? So it was very symbolic that he climbs a mountain to deliver his first sermon. And then what are the things he says? Amongst many things, he says, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you. Ah! There's something I read and I say, ah, no wonder they killed you. That's why. That's your. <laughs> He's correcting Moses. You have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you. He spoke with such authority. Verily, verily, I say. 20, 28 years old. So, in this culture, our culture too, you know, Africa, we are very traditional. We don't joke with the elders. Some of you will not have taken that. Because once you just see the way he's preaching, you're like, what is wrong with him? What's he feeling like? What's he? You're not listening to what he's saying. You're just annoyed. 
We are too sentimental. That's why we miss God many times. Come on, are you with me? Too sentimental. Some of you, you can understand John the Baptist. You can understand, ah, he must be a man of God. You mean he eats locust and honey? They are, they are, they are rams. <laughs> this is another dimension of consecration. He stays in the wilderness. But when you see Jesus, you see him, the people he was rolling with. You see, you know, some people still argue that when Jesus turned water to wine, it was ever wine, grape juice. I said, okay. When the master of the ceremony tested the wine, he said, ah! He said, where did you see this one? And you are thinking it's Ribina. <laughs> I've never tasted alcohol in my life. Do you understand? But listen, he was called friend of sinners. Friend of sinners. Hallelujah. That's who he was. He didn't wear a flowing gown. He didn't. Listen, even when the soldiers came to arrest him, someone needed to betray him with a kiss. Meaning he looked like everyone else. Come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, I'm sorry, respectfully, there are some men of God, when you see them, they know, ah, ah, you don't need Judas now. This is he's the one. He's the one. <laughs> when the, the way they are coming like this. <laughs> you will know this, this is the man of God. The F, the F is silent. <laughs> man of God, you see? That's man of God. Praise the Lord. Look to Jesus. So now you must have a culture that allows you to look beyond what is popular, to search the scriptures objectively. Lord, I really want to know you. Otherwise, you'll be making the mistake that many people... Do you think the people who killed Jesus were, co were consciously trying to displease God? They were not. They thought they were pleasing God. They thought they were pleasing God. You can fight God without knowing. You can stand against God, God's agenda without knowing. You know, many people... Just here, for instance, the grace message. I know there are many excesses. There are many people who preach it the wrong way. Preach it with the wrong heart. Preach it with the wrong spirit. But for you to disregard the message, a message you have not sat down to understand, just because it sounds new, you are making the same mistake. You are. If this sermon will do anything for you, it must challenge you to re reignite the culture of Bible study. Let me tell you this. The deity of Christ, the incarnation of Christ, every other thing we've talked about has very grave implications or very serious implications, not grave. Don't you understand? Ever since, you know, the 
advent of the word of God, we heard from prophets. Moses went to a mountain, came down with his face radiant. We knew he had heard from God. And so he told us about God. But once upon a time, God took on flesh and came to us. So as great as Moses was, let him step aside first. Let's, let's hear Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? We must look to the sun. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. I want you all to read it together. Are you there? One, two, go. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, how? By the prophets, verse 2, one to go, has in these last days spoken to us, how? Hold on, listen, listen. So there is a bit of a difference. In time past, he spoke to us, by, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And what did he call the son? He says, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Verse 3, one to go. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. That word, listen, that word express image means exact image. Exact. Exact. The first time I preached this, I gave an illustration. Hmm. I don't know if some of you will know what I'm about to say. Let me see. Let me gauge your age now. In the age of desktop computers, there was a popular desktop application called Encarta. Who knows Encarta? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, some of you, 1995, they're born, you're saying, ah, okay, no problem. Did you ever see the 3D image of the White House in Encarta? And so, now, you're going into the White House, just virtual imagery, and you're seeing what the Oval Office looks like, and what the Red Room looks like, and all those things. Cool stuff, yeah? That's a type. That's a shadow. But imagine if the President of the United States invites you to that house. He says, that house you are seeing in your computer is my house. Come, let me show you. When you go into the house, now that's an exact image. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? So listen, Moses spoke about God, but God came and revealed himself. This is the implication of the incarnation. Look at John chapter 1. I know we've been reading verse 1. I know we've been reading verse 14. There's some parts that many people miss out. Zuteke patarabako shetes. Ahaha. Look at verse 17. Are you in John 1 17? Read together loud as you can. One, two, go. Read it again, one to go. For the law was given through Moses, but 
I like that box screams at you. Grace, which is the truth. It didn't mean Moses lied. What Moses said was just the type and shadow. Moses taught with types and shadows. So when Moses instituted, you know, the practice of sacrificing lambs, that was just a type of the true lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So how does this affect you? And how do you renew your mind as a strong, traditional Jew? One day, Jesus took them to the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. And right there on that mountain, the Bible says suddenly his face became radiant. All right? And they saw visions. They saw Elijah and Moses. Do you know what it means to be someone who practiced Judaism? And you see Elijah and Moses. These are arguably the two greatest heroes. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. You see both of them. My God. Listen. These guys wanted to trap the experience. They said, let's create tents. Let's create tents. We let these guys stay with us. One for Elijah. One for Moses. You see, this is the bane of religion. Jesus is standing before you. You are fascinated about Elijah and Moses. Let's create tents. You don't understand what has changed. Let's create tents. Let's keep them with us. All of a sudden, there was a cloud over their head. The voice of God spoke again. This is my beloved son. Hear him. And after that cloud, they opened their eyes and Elijah and Moses were not there. They only saw Jesus. That was such a graphic picture. Pointing their attention to Christ. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? And Christ is not a contradiction. He's a fulfillment. In Christ, you understand what Moses said better. You understand what Elijah said better. He's the fulfillment. He's the logos. As I begin to round off, I just want to say this. If you really want to grow in your knowledge of this Jesus, take Bible study seriously. You know, many people don't even know what a good service is. They don't know what a good sermon is. I was so blessed. Why were you so blessed? Seven keys to prosper. All those things are good. Are you getting what I'm saying? But you can consistently be learning about yourself and not growing in your consecration. We need to come to a point where we are satisfied just learning about God, learning about his word. Who is he? What has he done? Tell seven people, I'm going to learn about this Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't know if you counted seven. Sometimes I like you to do it repeatedly so that it will stick. I want, you to, I want to read something to you. See what John the Baptist said about Jesus. John the Baptist got this one thing, especially at the, mid, at, at the beginning. 
Oh my God. This will really bless you. Do you know what it means? Before Jesus' ministry started, John the Baptist's ministry was already big. Everybody was coming to him. Soldiers were coming to him. Men of repute were coming to him. He had his church in the wilderness and a multitude came to him there. He's the one who started baptism. He's called John the Baptist for a reason. Come on, are you with me? And then all of a sudden, the people realized that you were just a foreigner. You might know it theologically. It is another thing to practice it, that I am just a foreigner. This is the main focus. And his ministry is going to get bigger and my ministry will begin to reduce because my work is done. You know, a lot of people don't understand this in the body of Christ. We don't know, we don't understand transitions. Look at what he said. So, now, people came to report to him. Had this guy that you baptized days ago, he's getting very popular. People are coming to him. He's even, his disciples are even baptizing. Can you imagine? And this is what he said. Are you in John chapter 3? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven. Wow. What a perspective. There are a million and one things to say about that. It says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, now he calls himself the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this my joy is fulfilled. Everybody read verse 30 together, one, two, go. Read it again, one, two, go. Wow. He must increase and I must decrease. <laughs> Easier said than done. It's part of the plan. His ministry is going to get bigger and my own will fizzle out. That was part of the plan. I was just a forerunner. My God. A billion and one things to say about this. And this is my emphasis. Verse 31. He who comes from above is what? Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to ask again. He who comes from above is what? Above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So this is the implication of the deity of Christ on the theology of Christ. Because he is from heaven, he speaks with an authority no other human could speak with. No wonder he spoke the way he spoke. Verily, verily, I say. John explained it to you. He that is from above is what? Come on, I want to be sure you are in church. He that is from above is what? Make sure that your theology has been brought into alignment with Christ. He corrected many things. Many things that people who have not studied are still having problems with in the church. 
you know, once, once upon a time, they saw a child who had been born blind. And there was this so-called religious but superstitious belief that when you have a child like that, it's because you are paying for a sin that you committed. You did something wrong. You know, some people still think like that. Some people, when they go through hardship in this life, because they are poorly taught, they say, what happened? I mean, what, what did I do? They are trying to trace. In this world, you will have tribulation, whether you are spiritual or not. Come on, are you listening to me? So they asked Jesus, who sinned? Was it his father or his mother? In fact, they didn't even ask what happened. They were already sure they knew someone sinned. So just tell us, father or mother? <laughs> and he says, none. Instead, this is an occasion for the expression of the glory of God. Sometimes we are thinking, who did wrong? Instead of getting ready to manifest the power of God, we are asking, who, who, someone must have done wrong. He says, none. Do you know, there are some people who still think, you know, that God plagued their mom with sickness, plagued their dad, you know, is, is the reason their uncle died. And many people are angry at God for stuff he didn't do. Listen, I know you know there is a God out there, not just out there, in us. Amen, somebody? But there is also a devil. You need to understand spiritual warfare. There's a devil and he hates your guts. He hates you. And he's actively trying to attack you. So it would be irresponsible and ignorant to think everything that happens to you, you know, God. Sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's just life. <laughs> Are you listening to me? Life, mankind is fallen. Bad things happen. Jesus corrected many things. You know, the religious people, I'm rounding off, were so religious that at the expense of kindness, of fairness, they were practicing religion. All right, the rule of the law says no walking on Sabbath day. You ought to have seen these people stretch it to the extreme. Let me tell you how wicked religion can make you be. That a man that had been lame for many years, the Bible tells us about 30 years, Jesus heals the man. The man is walking. You see someone who had been lame 30 years, carrying his bed and walking. Instead of them to be happy, they said, why did Jesus heal him on the Sabbath? That's how they thought. Do you know, there are many religious people like that today. Why did he heal him on the Sabbath? You, you didn't rejoice. You didn't ask, what? How are you walking? You, you know, why did you heal him on the Sabbath? Jesus corrected their mindset to the crux of the matter. It's about love. Love for God, love for people. Come on, say a loud amen if you're listening to me. Say louder amen if you are listening to me. Because he's the logos of God. Look at how we treated the Samaritan woman. That's God for you. As a round of this is the final thing I want to say. 
from Jesus' experience, we know that even if you have a strong prayer life and you are fasting, you are still not out of the reach of Satan because as you are fasting 40 days and 40 nights, in the middle of the fast, the devil is tempting you. And your defense, as powerful as prayer is, will not be prayer. Your defense will be, it is written. Are you getting what I'm saying? Your defense will be what? Let me tell you something. That means that even if you fast 40 days and 40 nights with prayer all through, if you don't know the word, the devil can still get you. If you don't know the word, Jesus is the word. Look to the sun. Let his word build you up. He said, my word is lamp unto your feet and light to your path. You know, there are some of you who are praying for direction. If you will just study the word, direction will come. Hallelujah. You won't walk in darkness when you found the light of light. The light of life. You won't walk in darkness. Many of the things you are asking God for, 50% of divine leading comes from just the written word. And if you are a student of the word, you will know what to do. Because the word of God guides our path. You want direction in your life? Go to the word. You want to exercise victory over the devil consistently? Go to the word. Become a student of the word. When you come to church, come with your notepad. Come with your pen. Come hungry. Hallelujah. And after you have prayed for miracles and for healing, get to the word. Because let me tell you something. Some people have made their Christianity about only needs such that when they get to heaven and they don't need any divine direction or any healing, they wouldn't know what to say to God. They didn't build the relationship. If all your Christian devotion was about needs, what will you do when you see him and he has wiped the tear from every eye? What will you say? What will be left of your walk with God if needs... That's why some people get blessed and we don't see them in church again. Because that's what it was about. The word. Learn to seek Christ for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. He's not a means to an end. He's not a bridge to the money that you are seeking or to the healing that you are seeking. He's the catch. Come on, are you with me? Uh-huh. You don't come to him for bread. He is the bread come down from heaven. The bread of life. He said, except a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he won't have any life. Thank you, Father. Do you love this Jesus? Stand to your feet. Let's worship for a bit. Just worship him right now. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.